Pornhub. Pornhub. The Pornhub Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Pornhub Podcast. Today's guest is Sean Baker, the director of Florida Project, Tangerine, Starlet, which I'm in, by the way, and most recently, Red Rocket. Red Rocket is a movie about a retired male porn star played by Simon Rex, who has returned to his small hometown. And it's literally the best movie I have ever seen about our industry ever. You must go watch it immediately. Uh, I talked to Sean about what it was like to shoot a movie about porn, uh, what it was like to shoot a movie during COVID, and what it was like to shoot in film rather than digital. We talked about why he always makes movies about the unconventional, grittier side of life. We discussed open-ended endings, finding actors in unlikely places, and we talked about unlikable characters and what makes them likable. This was a really enlightening conversation, and I learned so much about the other side of Hollywood and how a mainstream movie is made. Um, And also, we talked a lot about porn obviously. So uh, enjoy. Hi, Sean. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Long time no see. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's great to be on your podcast. And congratulations <laughs> on everything. I know we haven't spoken for a few years. so I mean, congratulations to you. Um, Red Rocket was amazing. Oh, thank you. And it's getting so much recognition right now. Um, And so I'm going to conduct this interview kind of assuming that people have not seen the movie yet because it came out two minutes ago. Right. Um, So I guess to start things off, I want you to give us like, like, what is your version of like the two to three sentence summary of, or no, like better yet, like what was, (laughs) what was like the two to three sentence pitch to get this movie made and funded? Well, this is such an independent film that I didn't I didn't have to pitch it to anybody. <laughs> so, and to tell you the truth, I'm terrible with log lines, but I'm going to <laughs> attempt it. Um, so Mikey Saber is an adult film performer who's found himself down on his luck, having burned many bridges in Los Angeles and finding himself uh, pretty penniless and nowhere to go. And so he decides to crawl back to his ex-wife, or actually, he we we reveal to the audience they're still married, um, who lives in uh, Texas City, Texas, a small refinery city. Well, it's actually a big refinery city. He goes back. (laughs) You are bad at this. Yeah, I'm terrible. I'm terrible (laughs) at this. Uh, He goes crawling back uh, to to you know looking for either a second chance or just just shelter in general and. and what seems like um, like he may be actually – I'm terrible at this, Asa. I'm really, also, really did terrible you, at this. Did you mention he's in porn? Did yeah. I, I, okay, I, okay. <laughs> and so he goes calling back to his ex who, is also, who also worked in porn at some point and um, looking to, uh, I guess, uh, get things on the men's. And unfortunately, his um, – he starts to look other places and things uh, spiral from there. And he, and Mikey is back to his, uh, you know, to, to his old ways. I'm really bad. See, I don't have to, that's why I make these tiny little indies. So I don't have to pick anybody. But it's, so, a, yeah. com- it's a comedy drama about, um, 
sort of a semi washed up adult film star. Yeah. And like to give some context to that, he has this main character, Mikey, has been in the porn industry. He's been a male performer for, I think, like over a like 20 years or something, Almost right? Almost 20 years. Almost yeah. 20 years. He's yeah. won a bunch of AVN awards. Um, and so he's like, he's definitely like a successful male performer, but also at the point that we see him not doing so hot. Exactly. You got it. Um, and this is actually a scenario we see in porn a lot. It It's revealed throughout the movie that um, him and Lexi, his ex-wife, or still technically his wife that lives in Texas, got into the industry together, right? They went out yes. to LA together. Um, and it's like this very, very common story where you know, a couple, a young couple goes out to LA, gets in the porn industry together. Um, the girl is at first the super successful one. She's a big star. Um, but ultimately she kind of, I, I want to say like her career almost burns out in like maybe around the six year mark. And then the guy is just in forever. (laughs) Yeah, that's essentially it. We don't really paint that. We don't really actually, uh, fill in the whole backstory to the mm-hmm. audience. But the fact that you just did that seems like you got that out of the film. And well, great. We let paint me, it just, just, <laughs> let yeah. me just kiss your ass for a second because I, I fucking loved this movie. And that's not, I would say that's usually and maybe never even has been true for any other porn movie I've ever seen or like porn oh, wow. related movie. This this movie is not exactly like about the porn industry, but it is about a guy who that's a big part of his identity, right? Yes, exactly. Um, so what did you think of Starlet, the film that you were I actually I love Starlet. In? I love Starlet. But to <laughs> me, like Starlet was a, Starlet was more like, to me, Starlet was more of like, Porn adjacent, like porn adjacent, and yeah. and also, like to me, like Mikey was just like I know Mikey's. You know <laughs> what I mean? I know Mikey's. I know Lexi's. I even know Strawberries. These mm. are names of character, the main characters in the movie. By the way, to anyone listening, but like, and and actually, real quick, like you know, yes. I had the honor of interviewing Brielle Dron, who plays Lexi, um, in the movie. I interviewed yes. her after one of the first screenings in New York City, and. To that screening, I invited um, my friend Steve Javers, who is the former editor in chief of AVN. Oh and yes! Okay. After the movie, we could not stop talking about how right this movie got it. Like it's oh, thank like you. the characters are all right. The references are like impeccable. Like not there wasn't a single reference that I was like, "That's not how that goes," or "That's not a real thing." Um, you know, and like Spiegler's name is mentioned in the first five minutes. <laughs> That's always yeah. exciting. And yeah. like, so I want to ask you, like, how did you get that so right? Like you obviously have ins in the industry, but like also like how, how did you get it so right? Well, thank you very much. And it means a lot actually coming from, meets the most coming from you <laughs> that you feel that it's authentic because that means every that's very important for us when we go into these projects for you know to nail the authenticity and we had um we had consultants on the film um and and i'll list them off for you in a second but uh, we also 
um, you know, we also spent time, you know, back 10 years ago when I first met you actually, and was working on Starlet, we, we spent the time to go to film, to, to adult film sets and get to know players within that world. So, you know, so that was actually really helpful for us on many, on many levels. Um, and so the research also, had already been done is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, there was a lot of research that was already done. Chris Bergash, uh, who is my co-screenwriter, you know, is very plugged into that, into your world and, and really actually uh, was the one who introduced me to a lot of the initial, I think he actually introduced me to uh, Manuel, who introduced me to you, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and, and so many other players within the world. Um, yeah. And uh, who were the consultants? So um, we have uh, Casey Calvert. Oh, uh, love her. Yes, she's she's amazing, and probably was the most. Um, I was I, I. We started early with Casey Calvert, so she was there through all the stages and was very. Uh, I, I I I she she was great with notes. You know, yeah, and and Casey's actually been on this podcast before, but like she is someone that knows every so many aspects of the industry she produces she's been like on the fetish side of things and like the non-mainstream side of things but she's also this like huge mainstream porn star uh, yes exactly and directs herself you right. know and so really has that love of filmmaking uh that she you know she brings to it and so yeah it was great working with her and um and getting the notes back from her especially regarding the character of strawberry and mm-hmm. her agency and what she wanted to see in that character. Oh, it was, it was incredibly helpful. Um, we Is also that, had, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead. no, 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 please. You also had who? Yeah. Orianic Smalls. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. She was known as. Uh, 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 Bailey. Um, no, no. Uh, Ashley Blue. Uh, Ashley, Ashley Blue. Blue. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. She wrote an awesome memoir called Girlvert. Oh yeah. It's an amazing really book. Really good. Yeah. Amazing book. Uh, we have Scott Lyons, which is our only male, I guess, our, our male. Um, I know him very well, very yes. intimately, <laughs> as does pretty much everyone in the industry. <laughs> yeah. Not totally. I mean, no, I, I, I shouldn't say that because that's like a huge diss in a lot of ways. I almost said he's not unlike Mikey, but I guess you could say that of any male performer, right? Like there, there were elements of every male performer in Mikey as, you know, yeah. quote unquote, unlikable of a character as he was. Yes. But I also try to always make it known that this, you know, this character is not supposed to represent all men in the adult film industry. Obviously mm-hmm. this is not. Right, a, right, right. Yeah. It's, it's to do really with this, this, this um, archetype that we found in, you know, the suitcase pimp. Is he like, to- when right when like thinking of that character, like did you yeah. have specific people in mind? You you don't um, have to say who, but like yes, did- there were yes. Uh, we met maybe I would say a handful at the most of the suitcase pimps, and starting to realize that they had a very similar way of thinking, and like we were like saying, I remember at the same at the time, this is ten years ago, saying, oh, these guys are all cut from the same mold, and then mm. realizing after the fact that, yeah, there was a specific type with actually the slang term applied to them. So before we get well, like too f- deep into that, like yeah. just in case. So when I watched the movie, there is one part, like I, I'm really trying not to give stuff away here, but yeah. there is one part where Lexi's character says to Mikey, you know, she calls him a suitcase pimp. And it's 
it's said with such disdain and like such disgust. And there's so much focus on that word when she emphasis on when she says suitcase pimp that it was really shocking to me because in porn, if you call someone a suitcase pimp, that is the worst thing you can say. Like, yeah, exactly. And we want often deserved, you know, right. But but we wanted to imply how much of a derogatory remark this is. It's an insult to those. Even if you're a suitcase pimp, you don't want to be called a suitcase pimp, right? Like it's, Probably it's the last thing you ever want to hear. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was just shocked because to me, I'm like, I've never heard that word outside of the porn industry. Like I've never heard a quote unquote civilian, another word you use so well in the movie, um, <laughs> using the term suitcase pimp. So like, is that like, do you find that people in the real world know what that is or no no they don't this movie is definitely introducing this term to the to the mainstream um and i didn't want to define it you know i didn't want to define it i wanted i wanted audiences to be engaged enough where they would be like suitcase pimp what is that and go home later and like you know get on urban dictionary and google it because it's it's such like a it provides such a visual the term suitcase pimp because And like for anyone out there who is listening that doesn't know what a suitcase pimp, like I'm just going to explain real quick, but it's, it's a guy in the industry who preys on young women. Um, and you know, it's usually a pattern, right? Like they usually prey on one young woman after another, after another. And basically he kind of, he's usually in a romantic relationship with this young woman and he, um, basically is kind of her poses as her quote unquote manager. But what he's really doing is taking full advantage of her and just kind of one living off of her, controlling her by, you know, dictating who she works with, um, what company she works for, um, who her co-stars are, what kind of scenes she does. And, you know, she gives him, she supports him fully. And um, it's like, it's a certain kind of abusive relationship for sure. And usually, you know, when the, when that star's sh- lights starts to dim, um, he will find a way to break up and move on to the next young woman that he can kind of groom in that way. Yeah, or or there's one it, you. I mean that Asa, you just defined it absolutely perfectly. I just the one other thing I was going to say is that sometimes the female uh, performer she becomes too big and she moves mm-hmm. on. That's right. You know that she realizes I don't need. What is this guy? He yes. provides nothing to my life, or yes. adds nothing to my life. And and what I wanted to say was, it's we call them a suitcase pimp because they often literally go to every single set with the woman, and that's you know part of the control, right? He doesn't allow her out of his sight. Um, he doesn't allow her to be on set without him because yes. he needs her to feel like she needs him. And they literally appear to every set carrying the woman's suitcase. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> so, um, yeah. and, and that is a very, so it's like a super literal term. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and also, um, I've spoken to a few, um, uh, adult film stars, women who, um, who said that they got into the industry with their, their boyfriend at the time. Like, and so they were also, they consider those guys, they look back at their early mm-hmm. relationship and saying, that guy was a suitcase pimp. Especially because it's a pattern. Like a yeah. lot of, oh, there's so many guys like that in the industry who've gotten like four or five of the biggest stars, like working even today. Like I, you know, I'm not going to out anyone. That's not like my thing to tell, but like, yeah. 
I'm telling you, like people you know that are huge stars got in that way. Yeah. Um. So earlier you said that you know you can you kind of found like you talked to a bunch of suitcase pimps and like yeah. you found that they all had commonalities. Yes. Like, what do yeah. you imagine? What first of all, what is wrong with Mikey? Like, what is he a narcissist, a sociopath? Like, what? What yeah, is it? I, I actually think that Mikey is. Um, yeah, he's he's narcissistic. He's he's pretty ignorant to the fact that he has ne- a negative effect on other people. He doesn't really realize uh, the negative effects uh, he 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 really has on, on others. And there's that, and there's also a this blind um, optimism about their own future. And it's like, they're, you know, like the, the, the jackpot is just around the corner. I've noticed that many times also playing victim, like doing the mm, victim mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. as if they're the ones who are always, you know, the ones um, being uh, exploited. And then the last thing I was going to say is that, uh, you know, they also are, um, but on the surface level, you know, they are v- very entertaining, very funny, very uh, charismatic. I, I really found all these guys to have that charm about them. And that's what actually brings you, that's what gets you attached in the beginning. But did fact, you find them to be charismatic in the way where like they kind of, um, they enchant you? Or did you find them in- charismatic in the way where it's like, it's fun to observe them a as a third of, party? A little bit of both, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess Mikey is like that, right? Like Mikey exactly. is very funny because it's not happening at you. Yeah, but it also sense. is quite exhausting. I was when I <laughs> when I was uh, I remember I was in the film. There's a, a character by the name of Lonnie who is like the local Texas City kid who 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 looks up to Mikey because he's the porn star and he's come back to Texas City and he says, "Mikey, you're home." And the whole we have a lot of scenes in the car where. Lonnie is driving Mikey around and just hearing all of this stuff, you know, coming from the motor mouth that is Mikey. And I often felt like Lonnie. I was just being, you know, inundated with all of like, you know, uh, just, just, yeah, being exhausted by the amount of information that's coming at you. That's and- one thing you got so right about Mikey too, is one I find that male performers, and I'm just going to say this, you don't have to agree, like, if you don't want to, you know, be a dick or, but I find that a lot of male performers have this quality of, like, you never know, one, when they're telling the truth or not. Yes, exactly. Because everything is so, like, it's just exhausting. Like you said, it's a lot of information all the time. And also, I find that a lot of dudes that get into porn are just nonstop talking about their past accomplishments. Yes. Like that's very true. Like in in two thousand one, I won the AVN award for this, and you know, um, and I used to date this actress, and blah blah blah. Like it's just, yeah, and the number that they've been with, yeah, always quite impressive. I have yeah. to say, <laughs> well, but for then, sure. But then also very aware of their size. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Three of the dudes that I met was like, and I happen to be packing, you know, <laughs> and like very happy about the size. Uh, so. That was something we didn't work into this film just simply because it was so covered in Boogie Nights. You know, that character, Diggler, with known for his size that I was like- But did you also feel like you didn't have to cover it all because it's Simon Rex? That's, hey, that- he brings a lot. There's a lot of meta that that just casting Simon Rex- It's also worth noting he does like a full frontal in this movie. Uh, A very full frontal. He does. He does. And um, what you're, that a, that's a prosthetic or not, I'll never reveal. So. 
Um, well, actually, speaking of Simon Rex's penis, like I, I wanted to ask and like stop me if this is inappropriate, but I don't think it is because I know Simon and I don't think he would find it like offensive. But like he does have a past with porn, right? He yeah. has made um he, he's done. Is it one or a few jerk off videos? I think um, just I from what I know, just one, I think. And then some stills that came out of that and, and was revealed online. Or no, in the Village Voice in the nineties, Michael Musto started publishing a lot of these, you know, newly discovered um stills of him just holding himself, you know, erect. What a cool New York story. Like yeah, Michael also, Musto publishing your news. Oh my God. Yeah, but at the same time, it definitely did not help him. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, I don't know if it directly led to him getting let go from MTV, but it was definitely a semi-scandal because of, as we know. Do you feel like, um, like was that part of the ca- the reason why you casted Simon? Well, it, it was definitely in my head. I mean, and it was brought up when we first spoke on the phone. I did say, listen, I'm not trying to, I'm not cast, this is not stunt casting because of your past. This is not actually even related to it. I just think you're a great performer and you can nail this role. But we have to be aware that people will make that connection. And there may be like a a meta meta connection. Yeah, it's like if like Richard Gere did a movie about gerbils. Like, (laughs) like, I mean, you know, like that's impossible not to think about, right? Mm. So exactly. why why Simon? Like I I read that you had always had him in mind for the role for like a few years before even making the movie. Like why why him? Well, he um he's consistently entertained me over the years and I always wondered why he wasn't getting bigger media roles. I didn't quite get it. I I even actually like ch- kind of looked into his background to see if he was blacklisted by Hollywood <laughs> because I just didn't get it. And then around the when um the social media rolled around and Vine became a big thing. I was watching him on Vine and saying, okay, even in six seconds, this guy is demonstrating to me that he not only has comedic deliveries, you know, down, but he, there's something that says that told me that he, he's, he would be able to uh, tackle a dramatic role. Like he, he just understands acting essentially. Mm -hmm. And I was like, someday I'm going to give him a role. And then uh, I, I guess, uh, yeah. Red Rocket rolled around and we were like, this would be perfect. But we never, this was five years ago. Five right. years ago, um, when we first broke this story, I remember texting one of my producers, one of his Vine videos. And it was a silly Vine video, but I was, it was like, it, it's going to be this guy if we make Red Rocket. Um, that was put on the back burner because I went and I started doing work on another film, a much bigger film that just couldn't be made during a pandemic. So as soon as COVID came around, that thing got shut down. We pivoted back to Red Rocket. So I had been thinking about Simon for for over five years, but Simon didn't know about this until like three weeks out from shooting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He got, I wanted to get settled in Galveston, settled down in the Gulf Gulf of Texas, and then, and make sure everything was actually a go. Because you know, with I already, I we got delayed by a month because of a uh, false positive I had. I mean, yeah. this was this was in the early days of COVID before the vaccine. So sure. we just wanted to make sure everything was a go. And then we get we gave him a call and wait. So at more. that point, like, what if he had said no? Well, we had a few other we had a few other names. Can you um, say or? I, I don't want to say just for their sake the people who didn't get the role, but like we were we, there. Were, Are they like, like names we would know? 
uh, there's actually a couple of adult film stars I was considering. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and who are not suitcase pimps? I love them. They're <laughs> awesome people. Uh, but, uh, but you know, it's just that Simon was the one on the top of the list for He's me. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. He was so, absolutely perfect. So I'm glad it all worked out. I mean, he just happened to be sitting up in, uh, in where he lives in Joshua Tree. And mm-hmm. he said, look, I'm just sitting up in Joshua Tree. It's COVID. I'm not getting my, I haven't been getting any calls. I, yeah, I'll be mm-hmm. in the car in, in Texas in three days. And so he did. He came, he, he, he got to Texas in three days. We couldn't have him fly because then we would have to have him, uh, you know, quarantine. So he, he drove. And on that drive, I think he just memorized most of the script because he landed with all of these Mikey Saber monologues and rants already memorized whoa like, yeah it was pretty and uh, pretty crazy because i do you know I, I i guess you you've seen the film so you know there's there is improvisation in the film i always encourage improvisation but with those long suitcase pimp monologues those yeah. were, those were scripted so i wanted to ask like, you that yeah they were very specific i yeah. remember like when i was on your set for starlet a hundred years ago I remember there being a lot of improv. I remember the set being like super kind of, I don't know. I haven't been on that many mainstream sets, so I I don't have much to compare it to. But like it felt to me like way more casual than what I would have imagined a mainstream set to feel like. And people were joking around. Everyone knew each other. It was it felt like like work was getting done, but it it didn't feel so stiff. Is that is that just that's like exactly what that day what was like or are all your sets like that? No, that's pretty much all of my sets. And, and, you know, Starlet was tiny. Starlet was what, like 12 people. This was pretty much the same. This was actually 10 people, 10 person crew. And so, Because yeah, of COVID or? This was because of COVID and because, yeah, it was because of a tiny budget and COVID. And I, again, I thought I was going to make a much bigger film after Florida Project, but I ended up making a <laughs> smaller film after Florida Project. So, um, yeah. D- do you like was I mean this seems like a dumb question like was it hard shooting a movie during covid like no shit but like what 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 changes on a set like what changes in movie making when it's during covid like what well, does a day on a normal set feel like compared to a day on a covid set Yeah well it's just a more of a pain in the ass essentially like everything's a pain in the ass with covid you you know you have to stay isolated you have to have we followed the uh, directors guild of america their um covid compliance rules so we had to get tested three times a week we had to get our temperature taken in the morning then we had to like stay I- as isolated as possible so okay. and even if we were shooting there are a couple of scenes in the film where we we're actually shooting in semi public our actors had to stay socially distanced from oh. any other person. And it, it, there were a few shots where we actually even had to digitally remove a mask. There were like, even if, even though it was Texas, there was, <laughs> there were a few masks <laughs> in the background. Is that why you shot in Texas? Like, uh, no one will be masked here. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, Many other reasons, but yeah. But then in, in general, looking back at the photos from the set, I'm like, oh yeah, I had to direct with a mask on. That sucked. You know what I mean? Sure. It, it, it's, uh, it's just overall, it's not very fun, but Hey, we did it safely. I think doing it smaller actually helps. Cause I've been hearing about these huge Hollywood productions where they have like 
A pod, B pod, C pod, and some people don't even ever interact the entire time. And if one 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 positive, it'll shut the entire thing down. I mean, like it's it's crazy. So yeah, I don't understand how anyone is even doing that. Like I, I don't, yeah. I don't it costs get it. So much money it costs us. Uh, we our film costs one point one million. Sixty thousand dollars of it was eaten up by COVID compliance. What? Yeah. So actually, I made a one point. Zero four movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you said it was a smaller movie than the Florida Project, or yeah. but like, do you feel like I don't know? Like standing from the outside, right, and just like looking at it, like I I can't. Maybe it's because you know I'm in porn, so this movie is like hugely on my radar, right? Like everyone I know is talking about it. Um, but I'm wondering, like impact wise, do you do you feel like it was a smaller movie? Hey, I don't know. I mean, it's too soon to tell. Yeah, it's too soon to tell because we've had, well, the festivals, I I would have to say, yeah, bigger impact because we played at Cannes main competition with this film and that changes everything. When you play in Cannes main competition. What does that mean? Like what, what is that? Oh, well, well, you know, at, at the Cannes film festival, you'll have main competition, which is like, you know. It's, it's it's the one you want. It's the category you want. Uh, and does that mean you've been selected by like the yeah. can board? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's only uh, how many films? Oh, I'm, I'm not sure, but around 20 films. And it's very difficult. It's it's like a for a filmmaker who you know who who looks to world cinema as something that's very important for his or her career. You know, getting into the Cannes Film Festival is like a dream come true for sure. me. It's like the, the zenith, you know. So, um, so anyway, but then within Cannes, there's also other sections. You know, there's in certain regard, and then there's sections from outside of the main competition, like Directors Fortnight, and that's where I was with Florida Project. So, okay. so this is like a step up that way, and then also. Um, but getting it out there, yeah, it's too it's too early to tell what sort of impact it will have, you know, culturally, kind of like culturally, because in the zeitgeist of, yeah, yeah. sure, that makes we'll, sense, yeah, because it's COVID, you know. I mean, it's even though I think we're doing decently at the box office, it's still not as good as we did with Florida Project four years ago, and yeah, that was just mediocre. So, oh, it <laughs> was Spider Man. We're not Spider Man. Let's just say that. Do you know, like? Like while you're shooting this movie, like, are you aware that it's you're making something very good? Well, I, <laughs> Does I, that I, sound I, weird? <laughs> well, what what I am aware of was like the incredible performances my actors were giving. I was just like every day, I was like, yes, oh my god, beautiful, wonderful, wonderful. And then sometimes there's a lot of little miracles too. Like when you're this small and you're open to just accepting anything coming your way you'll have happy accidents and serendipity almost all the time if you're on a hollywood set you have to stay and you have to be precious to every word in the script or the or the wga will come after you and you have oh. unions and it's like you can't deviate you can't deviate but we can deviate non-stop so we have a lot of little things happening to us that are just and like that's like a money thing like because you're funding it like it's it doesn't yeah yeah we were so small that we were just yeah, we didn't really have anybody to answer to. I mean, sure. we, just, we just we did have a financier, but they trusted us with that little money they gave us, and we just went off and did it. Um, and so, you, yeah, like you, you know, you interviewed Brielle Rod last week. She's so wonderful. Like she was just every day giving me gold. Um, and by the way, she told me that she watched 
a lot of porn and a lot of porn <laughs> interviews <laughs> to get her to that, to that place. But, uh, but yeah, just so, so you, you are aware that things are going well, even though you're always, okay. you know, you're always cautious because ultimately you don't know until the end. How do you like make sure that like, okay, to me, and I am not in any way like some type of film expert or like, I don't even have like smart thoughts on anything, but like to me, like I love movies though. And to me, like my favorite kind of character is like when you're not supposed to like them and you can't help it, but you like them, right? Like an, a like, like a, an unlikable an objectively unlikable character that for some reason you're like, Hmm. I totally agree with you. An antihero. An antihero. Exactly. An antihero. And like, um, to me, like every character in this movie was that way in one way or another, every single one, is that something that you can like manifest or does that like, like, is it an well, unspoken thing that like um, you have to make every character this way? Like, does every actor like know that <laughs> inherently or like what, what, or do you have yeah. to tell them like make this guy more likable or like what? Well, How does that happen? we're just saying we, I always go into it saying, um, you know, we're going to make our characters have flaws because we all have humans have flaws. And I think that we as audience members recognize ourselves when we see people who are imperfect. I think these days you have the Hollywood system and, you know, this age of ultra sensitivity where everybody is outraged about everything. So mm -hmm. everybody plays it safe and everybody mm -hmm. and, the, and the main characters of all these movies are heroes and saintly and they can do no wrong. And you know what I mean? And yeah. So, and I just don't like movies like that. I, I don't, Same. I don't see honesty in those films. And I look back to like my favorite films uh, of the seventies, eighties and nineties that were, that were, yeah, they were despicable characters, but uh -huh. characters that like we could, we kind of connected with. Because but how do you, how do you, okay. Like for, in the case of Mikey, right? Yeah. So Mikey is a high, he's a suitcase pimp. We don't like him, but. I'm so charmed by him and I do like him and I do care about what happens to him. Like and and yet like I'm I'm just now realizing like we actually don't have that much background on him. Like no. we don't see his family. No. We don't know where he came from. We don't know what made him the way he is. Like was that intentional? That's intentional because you know, I think that being too specific about, you know, the origins of something or 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 trying to explain to an audience, you know, why somebody is i think it, it it gets a little preachy and then it also mm. doesn't allow for you know multiple different reasons and and causes like obviously mikey probably well just seeing the area he grew up in he grew up in some sort of poverty probably had he doesn't want to see his mother so there's probably some trauma there Ooh, um, and just pause for one second like that's one thing i've noticed about a lot of male performers oh bad relationships with their moms yeah, we did too, and that's why we we did that. We don't harp on it, but we do. Right, right, right. Yeah, and 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 then so it's there on the page. I mean, Simon saw that he's a complex character. You know, very you know, again, very charming, entertaining, and funny on the outside, and somebody who can actually root for. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, there's. But like, why are we rooting for him? Why am I rooting for him? Like, why do I like him? What because made him likable? Because he, he actually is somebody you'd like to hang out with. I mean, Simon has- Is that, that what it is? I think so. I mean, I, 
Simon all knew how to play this character that would give you the, you know, that would make, that would totally um, give you the best of both worlds, you know, yeah. give you, you know, and also have that moral gray that we're sort of exploring. Like I'm trying to imagine if like Simon or I shouldn't say Simon, if Mikey, the character he played in the movie showed up to set one day and he was like my male talent for the day. Like, would he be the kind of male talent where I'm like, oh, shut up. Like, I don't want to know this much about you. Like, if you're making it hard or would he be like, would I find him charming? Like, I I really don't know. Maybe it's such a fine line. What about, I mean, actually, that's a good question for you, like from your (laughs) past, like, how uh when hanging out with suitcase pimps who yeah who, who were not with you meaning mm-hmm. with somebody else how how were they to be with you know it's a fine line and i think because i'm so close to it like i think even i'm like there are guys i look at now and i'm like oh he's kind of a suitcase pimp and Got maybe it. mikey is more that because there are there's definitely different types of suitcase pimps and there's one there's the kind that's like clearly you're a suitcase pimp you literally don't do anything but suitcase pimp right like yeah, you're yeah. you're every second of your day is dedicated to getting this woman to a set and yeah. making money off of her but then there's like the suitcase pimps like mikey who are like they're a performer in their own right yeah but you also have a you introduce a suspicious number of women to the industry, yeah, and um, and they do the things that you know suitcase suitcase pimps do. So right, right. So yeah, I guess what I'm realizing right now, like I'm thinking of guys, and I'm realizing there are guys that are suitcase pimps that I am very charmed by, yeah. even to this day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. They have their you know they they're good conversationalists. Well, sometimes mm-hmm. if they're not just, if they're letting you get a word in edgewise, but <laughs> you know, they, um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, again, it's part of their, it's part of, I think how they win people over just mm-hmm. by, by being, you know, sociable people, mm-hmm. um, yeah, social people. Yeah. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah. Um, um, so this, this movie is also like famously shot on film. Yeah. Yeah, Which yeah. it shocked me to say, like that this movie is so independent, and like you say, such a small budget, but like film is notoriously expensive. Yeah, that's it gets a bad rap. I mean, yes, it is more expensive, no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it that film costs more than digital. Why? Why did you? Oh, it's not okay. No. Like, how much money can you say? Like, how much money was spent on the f- physical, tangible film itself? Oh damn. oh damn! I wish I could. I wish I had that. That figure on hand um it definitely raises it i i i'm 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 assuming we spent 100k on you know extra maybe um but 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 oh so in the grand scheme of things yeah it's not that bit no and i had my own camera actually so i so i saved the i saved the production like you know the camera rental but you know you do have to buy film and then there's the processing and then there's the digital scanning to 4k and then there's, you know, once you're in that world, once you have it on 4K, it's like editing any other piece of digital, you know, content. Why um, Why did you – because, okay, like, for example, Florida sh- – is. wait, am I remember this, remembering this wrong that Florida Project was shot in an iPhone? 
No, no, no. It's um, okay. So Starlet was like um, was regular digital. It was like okay. Alexa type digital. Then Tangerine was iPhone. Oh, Tangerine was iPhone. Got it. Yes, and then uh, Florida Project was actually thirty five millimeter. Okay. And this, which was you know much more expensive, and then this one is sixteen millimeter. So are you just always like looking for a new format to work with? Like, is that why? Yeah. And then plus the fact that this was so, this was a down and dirty movie. I thought that going on 16 will give us also that grit and that grain. Um, but also we were, all, we were, we were shooting it in a very cinematic way with these lenses that makes it make 16 millimeter, you know, widescreen. And so. And is that not something you can just add in post? No. Like the graininess well, or the grittiness, can, I mean? You can, but you can't fully, fully achieve what film brings. Film brings that cl- – if you just like look at like uh, – I don't know. Look at the uh, – look at any old film and compare it to, to like a Netflix film these days. You'll see a blatant difference. I mean like – you know this new sheen of digital this 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 clean digital look that doesn't have much depth i don't really like that look i like the organic you know celluloid look that get, looks like an old photograph yeah you must hate um, that new hd then excuse you know, me you know that new hd that like all the new tvs come with and it's like meant for sports but it oh, makes yeah. everything look yeah that's terrible i don't know why terrible. like that is i always go to every every hotel room i I go into, I have to change all the settings to get it out of so like, like movie mode. Place. Yeah. 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 If anybody out there has a brand new monitor, <laughs> go into settings and turn everything off. Yeah. It'll, it'll look correct. I do that too. <laughs> I turn everything off and make it slower. I don't know what it does, but it's just, yeah, it's just better. Yeah. Um, so like back to the whole film shooting on film thing, like, so obviously, you know, Shooting film is harder, I imagine, because with digital, you get unlimited takes. You're not wasting literal film, like physical film. Exactly. Um, and I think when I spoke to Bree, she was saying that like you guys were taking about six takes of everything. Yeah. Because it was film. I think, yeah. I don't think my shooting ratio ever goes crazy. If I'm shooting digital, it's not like I'm shooting 100 takes anyway. So Oh, you're I'm not really, one of those. Okay. No, I'm pretty disciplined anyway. And so- that's what that's another reason I can shoot on film because it's usually under 10 takes. Okay. Um, but do you find that like okay, like I keep thinking that we could the the group of us that are in porn today, yeah, we yeah. could never shoot porn on film. Yeah. I mean, most of us could not because no one would get a boner if with the kind of pressure that's like, all right, we are literally wasting film right now, so you better fucking get it now. Yeah. And then yeah. you need to come right now. Like, I don't think it's just way too much pressure. Like, so I'm wondering, like, when you shoot on film in a mainstream movie, like, do you feel like it does it is it really hindering because it's like too much pressure or reversely? Like, does it bring out the best in people? Because like, yeah, I don't know, some people do something helps. with. OK, especially if they're aware of it. Like with Florida Project, I actually wanted to get the kids aware of it because sometimes the kids would be fooling around. They're little kids, you know, sometimes they would lose focus or run away. And I'll be like, you know, we're shooting film. You hear that sound? That's the sound of this, the, the film going through the gate, that little, you know, um, you can hear it, you can hear it. And that's money being burned. So when you guys fool around, that's me losing money. And so, <laughs> so that was my, 
But again, that is but, the like, sound of money burning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but at the same time, with my you know adult actors from you know from this new film, they they they're aware of it. You know, they've been. They, 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 there might be that extra little bit of pressure that I actually think is a good thing. Okay. So it worked out for this one. Yeah. But if you think about it, you know, pornography in the 70s up to the 80s, right? They up almost up to maybe the 90s where there were some, there were films being shot yeah. on film. But there were and, also like, I, I feel like, I, obviously I wasn't there, but like in my, the way I view it, I'm like, there were, yeah, that's why there were like five male porn stars back then. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like now there we have so many, but it's like, yeah, everyone just like pops a Viagra and like the 20 year old right there is in porn. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, whereas like before it was like, you know, I only know maybe like three major por- male porn star names from like back then. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. And what's interesting is that I'm sure that pornography to some degree had a say in the digital revolution, because as you know, I think it, it brought up, it always dictates mm-hmm. uh, technology to a certain degree, especially when mm-hmm. it comes to like home entertainment. It totally it was the one that, that basically wasn't, wasn't it pornography that basically uh, was the deciding factor on whether to go with VHS over beta. I've right? heard that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if, how true it is, but yeah, I've heard that. It's also definitely like I knew when the VR stuff wasn't working out in porn. I was like, oh man, like this is not going to happen for a very long time in mainstream. Oh, that's very interesting. Because we were really trying to make it happen for a while, yeah. the VR thing, and it just kind of didn't. Spe- speaking of porn, like you tell you you tell like sex worker stories a lot and really unabashedly. Mm. Is that like wh- why well i think it's i think it's mostly to do with like i've been exploring the underground economy in my films ever since you know even before i made starlet i made two other films um one about a uh, an undocumented chinese immigrant called takeout and one about a uh an undocumented african immigrant selling counterfeit goods in the wholesale district of manhattan called prince of broadway so i've always been exploring sort of like the u.s underground economy and mm-hmm. then and because of that, I wanted to explore, you know, sex work in, in just in general, not just the adult film world, but, you know, sex mm-hmm. work. And and I think it's just that I found connections to the adult film world with Starlet and found it to have so many, you know, there are millions of stories could be told in your industry. And I and so that's why I came back a second time, I think. But just in general, I think sex work, obviously, we we all know it has a terrible stigma applied to it um, that has been slowly going away, but is definitely far from going away. And I think my films are just like chipping away at the, the stigma uh, applied to sex work by you know, hopefully telling stories that are universal and stories that are like anybody can connect. For sure. Like humanizing. Yeah. 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 Is, do you, have you ever had any experiences where like that worked against you? Like, are, do you feel, do you feel stigmatized like within Hollywood maybe? Oh, (laughs) as as a crazy independent filmmaker. I mean, like, do you ever think like, I I mean, I guess, I guess that depends on your goals. Right. But like, I could, I would imagine like perhaps Marvel will never approach you to direct the next huge Marvel thing because you've told all these sex worker stories. I don't that, even know if that's true. Maybe. But... Who knows? Who knows? Um, I definitely, 
haven't heard from Marvel, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, and I don't. I think that is that even the goal. Well, the goal. Listen, I I look at filmmakers like Jim Jarmusch and Spike Lee, and you know. Uh, a lot of European directors who have just like stuck to their vision throughout the years and have not felt the need to like go to a franchise or go to one of these tentpole films. And, and those are the ultimately, those are the, uh, you know, the, the careers that I, I look to as mm-hmm. the, like, inspiring and, and ones that I aspire to have, like, like Tarantino, like Tarantino, mm-hmm. just having his own personal, like, I'm going to have a, t- you know, a filmography that's tight, from beginning to end and has my signature all over every film. Um, that's what I look for. So, so I'm not really, yeah, I'm not looking to grab that hundred million dollar film from a studio. I, I, I would actually feel probably as if I not even, it's not even my film, you know, sure, I, yeah. yeah. like yeah. you want to tell, you want to tell the stories you want to tell. Yeah. Is what I, I'm getting. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so. Um okay, I ha- I have like another filmmaking question. So hmm. this movie is um the the again, I don't want to give anything away. Um I'll just say the ending is open-ended, right? It is. Yeah. Um so we end in a scene and then we don't know what happens to Mikey right like the next minute. Yeah. I guess you could say. That's fair to say, right? Yeah. So I-, I won't ask you like what you think happened after but like, um, I want to know, do you have in your mind, do you have what happened to him afterwards? I, I do have my own personal take. Let's just and, say that. I don't like to say it because then again, I'm preaching, but yeah, it's, a, it is open-ended. It is totally up for interpretation. That's the, that's the point. Uh, or if you'd like to, you know, if the audience wants to write their own ending, they can, um, is that something you share with the cast? Yeah. Your okay, ending? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I think I have. I think I've told okay. Simon and Susie and Bree what I think. But And, um, and, and when they're acting those final scenes, like, are they – like, are they thinking of your ending or like what? Well, to tell you the truth, I never, I didn't really get that. M- okay. There's also other ways of looking at this film. And again, I know a lot of people out there who's li- who are listening to this haven't seen it yet, but perhaps the strawberry subplot is completely fantasy. If you think of I it, read you know? that. Yeah. So my and favorite they, thing in the world is like after I see a movie, sorry to like totally cut you after, off after asking you a question, but like my favorite thing in the world to do is... um like go on a Reddit dive after I watch a movie that yeah. I really like. And I read something about someone saying perhaps that subplot or plot is entirely in Mikey's head. Yeah. It, you, you could look at it as a retelling of, as, you know, a, a loose retelling of the origins of the relationship between him and Lexi. Yeah. Or you could see it as a total fantasy, his way of coping with his new existence. You know, he has to return to his small town that he thought he would never have to return to and with his ex and he's not loving life. So he's sitting under a tree smoking a blunt and next thing you know, he meets strawberry. So there's, there's different ways of looking at it. But if you do want to go the literal route, it's still, yeah, it still takes you to an ending where suddenly we go, non-literal you know yeah I mean? no the, and, the the other one i hadn't even considered until i read it but like yeah. um yeah like i i'll tell you a little bit of my thought process okay ending. i did think that 
if it if we were going in a literal way, it would be a little trite, a little boring, something we've already seen before. We pretty much know what he's going to do. He's either going to, if she exists, he's going to knock on the door and they're going to take off to Hollywood, or perhaps he'll get cold feet. Uh, who knows? Uh, but it's one of those, it's, it's either or. It's one of those pretty literal things. So I thought instead, let's, um, these days, especially in mainstream, you know, Hollywood films, they tell you, stay away from the male gaze. It's over. We don't want to see any more of that. It's been a hundred years of male gaze. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. They're like, you know, uh, that's why I was like so clinical with Starlet to make it unerotic, you know, to like, if I was going to show female nudity, show just as much male nudity and try to ne- not sexualize. Um, well, with this film, I was like, I have to get into Mikey's psyche. And, yeah. I, happen- and I happen to be, you know, heterosexual male. So why not allow my allow myself to fall a little bit into the male gaze. And that's what I do at the end there. I mean, that's a full on. It's a hundred percent the male yeah. gaze. It, yeah. it is a Jules Jordan video. <laughs> when we had a, uh, we were shooting that shot. We were shooting that shot. It was actually Susie's first day on set. She had been hanging out with us weeks leading Susie up. Susie playing strawberry. Yes. So the first thing she had to shoot in the movie was actually her in the doorway uh, at the end in a bathing suit, uh, like a completely, you know, like a, like a, like a fashion scene, you know, um, like a fashion shoot. Um, yeah. yeah. But, like the wind is like blowing in her hair. She's wearing a bikini and she's just being super like Lolita ish. Right. Yeah, all like sexy. And so we were shooting this and um, I guess behind us a, uh, because we were shooting in this neighborhood, a garbage truck came up and the guys were, uh, who were oh, that was a real house that was a real house yeah they oh were, i totally just, assumed it was like it lo- almost looks like an edward scissorhands like oh yeah type set. It was, like it's it was quite a find it's like an idyllic little yeah uh oasis uh yeah. in san leone it's a beautiful little pink house yeah so but anyway these guys were watching us going i think we got into the wrong business <laughs> i mean like like what is happening here? So definitely, it's definitely like feeding into that male gaze thing, and I did that on purpose, knowing that I might get a little bit of you know backlash. But I think I thought it, I think it makes it a more honest film to like really get you to that place where you're in the head of Mikey. Oh, a thousand percent! Like that was to me that was a a perfect ending, and and to me like. For the record, like I went the hopeful route. Like I actually really believed in Mikey after. Like I, I didn't think he would do the bad thing. I thought he was going to do the good thing. I think. Oh, cool. Yeah, like well, I. There's another. There's maybe also, that just I'm dumb. <laughs> Sometimes you should. If it, it's speaking to uh, Susie about it, it's very interesting because her take is very much like, "Hey, look, I, I think that Strawberry is is." using him just as much as he's using her. Well, I wanted to ask you that. Like, do you think, oh my God, we're giving away so much about the movie, but like, um, it's, do you like, okay, I'll make it more general so that it's not specifically about the movie, but like, obviously like in the industry, a lot of women that have gotten in through like a boyfriend or a suitcase pimp or whatever, like I see them now and I'm like, oh, you were like made for porn. Like you fucking love this and this is the perfect career for you. Yeah. Do you feel like, I guess the question is like, is that possible? Like in, in Strawberry's case, was that true? Or like what, what do oh, you yeah, think? I think it's 100% possible. That's why I wanted to avoid the 
innocent little lamb, big bad wolf thing. I, yeah. I mean, some people see it that way because it's sure. obviously it's going to speak to you know to different people in different ways. But no, I tried to make it way more her way more complex, like yeah. way more complex. Her she has agency. She's the one who's sometimes questioning Mikey, but then still intrigued. She actually intrigued by the age by the industry. She's in. She wants to get out of this town. Definitely. I mean, she she sees her her town as a even dead like when town. he's you know obviously flirting with her in the beginning, like when he first meets her, like she's for sure initiating a lot of the flirting too, and like, initiates actually initiates the sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. So yeah, that that is like super duper interesting. And I heard a rumor that like you met her at the ArcLight. Is that? Yeah, that's a. So yep, yep. is she an actor or like what? She is now, but she was. She, yeah, she came to Hollywood to pursue acting, and she had been here nine days uh, before we met her. What? Uh, yeah, yeah. And so we were at the ArcLight Hollywood, which has this big. It's the. Uh, it's the dome theater that you see in Once Upon a Time in and Hollywood. And for anyone who doesn't know what an ArcLight is, is it's a movie theater. Yeah, it's a, yeah. So we're in the big lobby of this of this theater, and we saw her across the lobby coming in. And she who's just, we? Oh, I'm so sorry. My uh, wife Samantha and I, Samantha Kwan, okay. who's actually one of the producers on the film, and okay. uh, works with. Uh, she's an acting coach, so she works with a lot of the first timers. So we're always keeping our street casting, you know, hat on, eyes peeled. Yeah, always, always, and. She walked into the lobby and both of us were like, who is that? Like, oh my God, you guys are like a totally different version of like that swinger couple, that meme of the swinger couple that's like, hey, we saw you from across the room. and <laughs> Yeah, it's very much like that because it, you have to approach them in the same, you have sure. to go the, you know, do your spiel. What do you even say? What is your spiel? Well, it used to be easy with, you know, with when, when, uh, when there was actual physical media around, you could go up with a DVD and go, hey, I made this movie. Sure. And it immediately legitimizes you. Now you're like, hey, we made a film that you may or may not. No and way. You have to Google us or look us up on IMDb. And But thank God she actually did know the Florida Project. And so then that broke the I ice. mean, who doesn't? <laughs> well, but it yeah. is a smaller, you know. No, but come film. on. Everyone knows Florida Project. Yeah, cool. Well, Will- Willem getting nominated helped a lot. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, we're talking to her and then, uh, we exchanged information, and that night I went home and I realized, oh, she's already has an Instagram presence. Like okay. she already is pursuing this. So I just basically watched her for about two years with her in mind, knowing that someday we might work together. And when the, when COVID hit and we pivoted to Red Rocket, I said, well, Strawberry's already cast. It's going to be Susie from the theater two from years the ago. Arclight. Yeah, and we met her. We I'm sorry, we called her up, and she said, uh, I've been waiting two years for your call. I almost threw in the towel. But hey, uh, she oh, came. Oh, so, okay. That's really interesting because I was about yeah. to say that is like the luckiest Hollywood story I've ever heard. You go out to Hollywood nine days later, you're cast in, you know, this huge yeah. movie. But no, um, she was waiting. So she it's been two waiting. years. Okay. And so, but then she came and she just, oh my God, she was like impressing us every single day, rocking it. And then on top of that, we, in pre-production, while she was in Texas, I think we found out that she could sing. And she taught piano. So that led us to write this scene in which oh. she had to perform, which led us to getting the in sync Bye 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 oh, song. So, so good, her, there would be no Bye 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 song in the movie. Did you show NSYNC that scene before? Like, they have actually not 
they had to sign off on it by reading the script. I don't think any oh. of them have seen the film yet. I may be wrong. Okay. Lance was actually going to come out and, and do a Q&A. Uh, something happened, I believe. Yeah. So, but anyway. Um, that's awesome. Oh, my God. That's That scene is amazing. That <laughs> that That song really does tie like the whole movie together i mean it liter- literally does it's in the beginning the middle and the end right like yeah and yeah. lyrically it really fits i mean it's almost uncanny yeah it's about kicking somebody out of their their life you know? right um it, it's also i don't know it's 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 perfect it's uncanny but it's also like really unexpected well it's it's sort of like you're you know we're in this sort of independent ele- you know art house sort of movie, even though yeah. we're mainstreamy in a way, but still, you know, you know, and then you have that. like the most non art housey yeah. Yeah. song ever of <laughs> all of history, maybe. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so, so you found Strawberry's character at the arc light. And then, you know, when I was at the New York screening, I, um, I, I was sitting next to Brie for a portion of it. And, I leaned over and I was like, is the lady that plays your mom an actor? Because she's so good. And she was like, no. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, and like, so you're like known for finding people who are not like, you're known for finding people in unconventional ways. Yeah. It's- I try to do, I, 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 I mix it up. You know, I have seasoned actors and I have first timers. I really love work when, when I'm blessed to find a first timer who has like, that amount of talent. Um, yeah, it's like a miracle, but I've been blessed that way a few times. And why does, why don't other people, you know, no, not like, why don't other people do that? Because that's obvious to me, but like, are you just someone who like, doesn't like in other parts of your life? Are you someone who like, doesn't like to play by the books? Cause I mean, you make movies about like the underbellies of the country, right? Like none of your movies are about like, nice conventional things yeah you don't find your actors in like the normal way you're shooting on film like do you well you must i don't yeah i guess so maybe i mean i don't live the the normal i guess you know i don't have a nuclear family i'm not i don't have a home (laughs) a house you know it's like i I, don't yeah i live a very somewhat different than i guess most people that i went to high school Uh, the way they live but um I mean maybe I'm projecting because personally like I'm so like I hate I I like I despise normal things like to me like that's so boring even though like I'm actually quite normal myself like like I am from a nuclear family like I I'm my background is like pretty boring but like I'm just like to me that's there's nothing interesting about the norm so maybe I'm like projecting onto you but like I, yeah, I like that. I meant that as a compliment. Yeah, no, me too. Me too. Um, I've always been drawn to the alternative, you know? Mm-hmm. I've always been drawn to things that, uh, you know, that go against the, the grain of normality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What's the word? Which one? Norm- no, <laughs> nor- norm- normalcy? Yeah. But so, also not really. So I don't yeah. Know. So I, uh, yeah, no, I am. I'm definitely... 
and also with the films I make, I'm also I never want to make something that is just a duplicate of what's already been made. Sure. There's so many films out there who are just trying to who 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 are just basically you know trying to duplicate or replicate. And 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 I'm like, why aren't the most interesting films are the ones that are showing you something you've never seen before? The yeah. ones that are doing something for the first time, breaking ground. I but mean, also something you do like like within that space that you do that I think is like I appreciate so much is like for example with this movie like I don't feel like you came in and exploited our industry at all like I don't I didn't feel like it was made about porn for the sake of like Mikey wasn't a porn star just for the sake of like being able to throw in the word porn in there if that makes sense yeah yeah and I I love that you say that actually, because that's very, that was very important for me, especially tackling this character who can definitely be seen as negative and uh, is probably not the most positive aspect of your industry. Mm -hmm. I knew I was tackling that. So, but at the same time, I didn't want to slam your entire industry in no way, shape or form. So it was a balance. It was a real balance. And I actually had uh, an adult film performer actually come out and a few of them uh, come out and see the film um, in theaters over the last, you know, a uh, few uh, few weeks. And there was one who, it was one woman who said, "This is stuff that us in porn we really don't want to see this, but you know, but you did it in a way where you don't. It's 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 obviously specific towards this archetype. It's mm-hmm. it, it, you know, it's not it, it's not a." generalized look at our world so i can i can i can handle it but it is still hard to swallow and yeah i i was aware of that i Mm -hmm. i was aware of that but again it was something where it's like you got to show the good and the bad you know you got to show it all you know yeah Yeah. i mean yeah i think like the hardest thing is that for like our industry like the good isn't shown (laughs) Mm. you know i guess like that's the hard part but like i don't know like something about this movie to me like it didn't Maybe it's the fact that like it was such a human story and like I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't I can't yeah. really put to words like why to me this was like beautifully done and then other movies I'm like ugh. Well, I th- another I one of these. Be, yeah. Well, have you seen Pleasure yet? Mm-mm. I'm very good. I'm I'm very interested in what you think of Pleasure cuz we made it at the same time essentially. Well, no, they made it pre-COVID, but it's a take, you know, it's, it, it looks at the industry. It's about a woman breaking into the industry. I know Spiegler's in it. And, oh. um, Oh, wait, is that by, um, Ninja? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so that, no, that, I haven't, I haven't seen a very it. different take. Um, I appreciate her take, but I have no idea what the industry would think of her take. I, um, yeah, I don't want to like say anything. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, but, I wasn't um, asking you for that. Yeah, it I does sound like a very different kind of movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll say that. So, let's just say there's, as I said earlier, there's like there's a you could tell a million stories within the adult film industry. Sure. You know, and so it's just one film at a time, different takes. You know. Um. What are you doing next? Well, do you know? Well, there, uh, I was the bigger film that I was working on was about drug user activism, you know, um, fighting. What is, what is drug user activism? Well, um, those drug users who are empowered or, or advocates of drug users who are fighting for their rights, you know, to, so that, you know, to hopefully to, to bring an end to the drug war, to, uh, 
to to provide social services and harm harm reduction social services that um, just uh, make it easier for the life of drug users. You know, yeah. you know. Um, so, so it was originally supposed to take place in Vancouver and I think it still will cause they're about 30 years ahead of the U S but where you, but, um, but in New York, in New York city, they just opened up two um, supervised consumption sites, which is like, yeah, op- opiates, right? Yeah. Specifically so you can go opiates. in there and it, I think you can use any drugs. Um, oh, I th- for some reason it, I thought it was like just heroin. Well, it's specifically meant to, um, because of the fentanyl crisis, because right. of all the overdoses that are happening with fentanyl. So it's so, so weird that they're putting fentanyl in like everything now. Like to me, like it makes sense. Oh, okay. First of all, it's fucking terrible. Like it's, you know, everyone knows people who have died this way yes. and it's, yes. it's just yeah. really fucking sad and terrible. That being said, it makes sense to me. Like why, like, I guess like in terms of like a high, it, it makes sense to me while so, why someone would put fentanyl in heroin or cut it with that because it's so much stronger than heroin, but it also has like kind of a similar high. But like, why are people putting fentanyl in cocaine? Like, well, I actually, it's it's being used instead of heroin because it's an opioid that's cheaper. So it's it's essentially replacing real heroin. But when it comes to other drugs, if it finds itself in a stimulant like you know cocaine or methamphetamines. It's usually just because of cross contamination. It's, oh. it's because of carelessness. Oh, because, so it's like peanuts are being made at the same factory, kind of. Yeah, thing. exactly. Like it's, okay, it's that, and it's drug dealers who are, you know, who are, yeah, who don't have safe facilities. Oh, that makes like sense. Because yeah, I was I thinking, like, I would be personally, I don't even like uppers like that. But like, if I did, I feel like if I went and bought a bag of cocaine and I got like a fentanyl high, I'd be really mad. Yeah, exactly. But also, yeah, it's so dangerous. That Aside from you, the death thing. If yeah, you're doing coke, if you're doing like coke these days, you should get it tested. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I don't know if those if that's how easy that is to do in the United States. In Vancouver, they literally have shops here that say that are called get your drugs tested. It's amazing. That's wonderful. Yeah. So you can go, if a kid is partying one night and is going to go out to a rave with some, you know, with some ecstasy, they'll bring the ecstasy there and just make sure there's no fentanyl in it. Yeah. I mean that it's just, it makes so much more sense to me to like keep people safe rather than Exactly. Push people further underground, right? Yeah, it just harms society as a whole when we have all these overdoses and, you know, and this stigma applied to drug use in general that drives people that, yeah, that isolates people, that marginalizes people. It's so sad. And and you can see what COVID, you know, our our response to COVID, how that has led to uh, like a doubling in overdose uh, overdose Mm -hmm. cases and because people are isolated. It's so sad. It's so, so anyway, sad. so that was the film that I want to tackle, but I want to tackle it, you know, in the crazy way that I normally tackle something. So it'll probably be a romantic comedy set within. That oh my world. god! But uh, <laughs> but uh, but we don't know whether that's going to go yet because I actually because COVID sort of has to be an afterthought with that film. I'm asking, you know, the public to get behind the rights of drug users, and that's something that's so foreign to, especially to American citizens, that I. We can't have this pandemic out there now where everybody's worried <laughs> about themselves and you know what I mean? So that, so oh, I, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, I may have to wait, but, and, and in the meantime, make another smaller film that I really liked how small this red rocket was. I was, you know, while I was making it, I was 
kicking myself and having a pity party of like, why am I making a, while all my peers are making hundred million dollar films and I'm like back to one. But at the same time, in hindsight, like everything that came from shooting this tiny movie, this, the intimacy, the having to answer to nobody, the, this little family unit that we just, you know, just felt like, yeah, again, like miracle after miracle was happening mm-hmm. because of those limitations imposed. That, but like, aren't you oh, also looking back at it through like rose-colored glasses? Like you, you've made oh. this successful movie that everybody <laughs> loves. The critics are fucking like raving over it. Like, of course. Yes. Like maybe it's if always- those things were not true, you'd be like, that was a disaster from the start. Yeah. Well, of course, 100%. <laughs> um, yeah. So you always remember the good stuff, right? Uh, yeah. So I... Uh, but I, but yeah, if I make another smaller film, it won't be this small. It'll still be something in which, you know, Simon doesn't have to eat pizza all day and drive himself to set. <laughs> I mean, it was really, it was really one of those. It was like one tiny, one tiny, tiny, tiny detail that there was in there. I don't even know if it was intentional, but there was a part where, um, oh, I can't fucking remember. I think Lexi was eating something and like, <laughs> and Mikey, Mikey was like, Mikey didn't want to eat it, but then he was like, fine, I'll just have one bite. But I don't even know if it was intentional, but like to me, it rang so true for male performers because they're so diligent about their bodies. And like, even like the ones from like the middle of Texas, nowhere come to California and become totally like California eyesed, you know? Like, I'm, I'm glad you caught that actually because. I didn't think anybody, even including Simon, really caught that. Um, yeah, that was it. Was regarding a donut. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Like, he's, he's like, like fine, I'll have a bite. I'll have one or whatever. <laughs> but no, he's definitely thinking about you know being on camera. Totally, and it's yeah, almost yeah. like um this like it's almost like an eating disorder level of like the way they think about it. So and and us yep. too, like the you know all all of us performers. I mean, I guess that's what happens when you live in California and your body is your career. We even did that little a little later in the film. I don't know if you caught it, where there's a news, um, there's an incident that happens, and a, a mm-hmm. news van comes by and interviews Lexi, and she sees herself on uh, television <laughs> later, and is like, "I should have worn makeup." Yeah. <laughs> it's That's- hard not to think that way when you're, you know, on even for her, like it had been so many years, but she's probably always going to think that way, right? Exactly, exactly. So I'm glad you picked that up. Um, and I guess we're about to be done, but I guess like the last question I want to ask you, and maybe this is like super cliche. I'm sure everyone asks you this, but like, I want to know, I'm so curious, like what, what do you want people to take away from this movie? Like, what is the message you were trying to send that like that sex workers are human too, or like what? Yeah, I know. I've been asked this and I, or is that, is that not even a thing? Like, do, do, do you guys think about these things when you make a movie or is it not like that? I, I I don't personally. I, I think some other filmmakers I know, yeah, have a whole, have this whole mission statement usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's really just about presenting a story that I feel I haven't seen before, you know, getting something onto the big screen that is fresh. Um, you know, we are dealing with themes that I would love the audience to like ponder, mm-hmm. uh, you know, themes of division and politics, sexual politics, but then also politics in general, um, you know, um, and then also being, being, not being afraid to explore anti-heroes and that moral gray and that, and, and doing it in 
in 2021 where people seem to be against that right now. Totally. So yeah, being a little rebellious there. So it's more about like tackling themes and presenting something that I'm just not seeing uh, enough of on the big screen anymore, especially in US film and TV. So like ideally... In a perfect world, a person would be watching your movies and being like, hmm, I've never seen that before. Or like, I've never heard this story before. Yeah, or it's been a while. You know, it's mm-hmm. been a while. And 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 if this brings you back to like, say, you know, watching the, the you know, the, the fun anti-hero films of the 70s with like, you know, Chevy Chase, you know, he was never really, he was always... Mm-hmm. Chevy Chase or, or later on, you know, Vincent Gallo and Buffalo 66. Mm-hmm. You know, the characters like that, that um, we're just not, we're not almost allowed to watch anymore without full judgment. Right. Um, and I try to present this character in a very, I don't use music to manipulate or anything. I'm just presenting objectively this character without condemning or condoning. Right. Condemning, and let's just see how the audience reacts to that. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank I, you. So it was great. And uh, appreciate you to see you again. And you too. Yeah. Well, and everyone uh, go watch Red Rocket. And what? Yeah, I was going to say Red Rocket is essentially in theaters only for the time being. Uh, A24 has this nice theatrical window being, you know, the theaters are really, really, really struggling. You know, mm-hmm. um, during during COVID, we lost a thousand independently owned cinemas throughout the US. And that seems that seems like a very big number. It could have been a lot bigger, actually. If I mean, was. didn't like, was it AMC? Yeah. Some big, a big one went bankrupt. Well, AMC isn't, no, they're, they're doing fine, but, or um, maybe it was so. Regal? I don't know. It was someone. Is it Pacific? <sighs> I don't remember. Owned, uh, the ones who owned Arclight, actually. Oh, Arclight man. Is, yeah. Arclight is now going to be an AMC. What? But, um, no. Yeah, yeah. But it's okay. At least AMC is still there. We need, yeah, the, we yeah, need yeah, the multiplexes. We also need the mom and pop ones, you know. Um, and so whatever we can do to support theaters right now. Mm-hmm. And so for me, asking for, for a theatrical window really helps because especially at Christmas, every day is like a Saturday to them. And so, yeah. So if no matter where you are in the United States, you should be able to find Red Rocket pretty close to you. And then it comes out, you know, on VOD, Blu-ray, and everything in early February. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sean. Thank you. Bye. It's great being here. All right, bye-bye.